Hi, it's Nahani Rouse, here with another episode of Can We Talk, the podcast of the Jewish Women's Archive, where gender, history, and Jewish culture meet. First, a word from our sponsor, the University of San Francisco's SWIG program in Jewish Studies and Social Justice, JSSJ's graduate-level certificate program in JEDI, Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, is more than an educational program. It's a call to action to improve the future of every Jewish institution. Classes meet the moment with supportive learning that helps students navigate an evolving and challenging Jewish community landscape. Learn more and apply by January 12th for spring classes at usfca.edu jedi. Now, on to the show. This episode takes place partly in Israel. The interview was recorded before October 7th. My mom and I have always had a very loving, very enmeshed, highly suffocating, dysfunctional relationship. I see this resonates with some of you. That's actor and writer Iris Barr in her one-woman show called See You Tomorrow. It's a poignant and funny account of Iris's relationship with her mother and how everything changed when her mother developed dementia and Iris became her primary caregiver. Iris grew up partly in Israel, partly in America. In February 2021, about a year into the pandemic, she was living in Los Angeles, single parenting her nine-year-old son. Her mother, Ruth, was 83 and lived alone in Tel Aviv. There were lockdowns, most people weren't vaccinated yet, and Ruth was scared. Iris bridged the 10-hour time difference and called Ruth on video chat twice a day. Ruth kept up her habit of sending gifts. My mom is the most generous human on the planet. She sends us a few packages a week, usually appliances, always in twos, just in case. And so we were discussing the pair of toasters that had arrived that morning. And then suddenly my mom says, it's so funny that I remember my best friend's last name, Kovo, Kovo, Kovo. I'm like, mom, you're acting weird. Why wouldn't you remember your best friend's last name? You've known her for 83 years. Then she kind of went like that. And then her eyes rolled a little bit, and then she kind of held the phone out and just kind of stared. And I was like, Mom, did something get in your eye? Nothing. Mom, you're, you're, you're freaking me out. Did your blood pressure plummet? Can you hear me? What? Immediately I know that something is very wrong. Iris was watching her mother have a stroke, alone in her apartment on the other side of the world. She launched into a frenzy of action calling her mom's friends in Israel, asking them to call an ambulance, hoping her mom didn't close the video chat. After an agonizing two hours, EMTs finally entered her mom's apartment. Iris was on the other end of the video chat, trying to get their attention. Uh, EMT person, can you please come talk to me? This is her daughter. I need to tell you what happened. So one EMT goes to do a neurological assessment on my mom, and the other EMT's burly Israeli guy takes the phone, and he's like... Your mother had a stroke. Yes, yes, she did. We have to take her to the hospital. Please, please take her. Well, we can take her to the good hospital or the other hospital. (laughs) Well, why wouldn't you just take her to the good hospital? Why is the other hospital even an option? 
Well, a good hospital is farther away, and this is an emergency. Also, because of corona, the good hospital is jam-packed. You wait on a stretcher for eight hours in the parking lot. My cousin Chilik works in the cafeteria, and even I'm like, dude, I don't need to know the minutia, okay? Just please take her to the other hospital. Okay. And so they get to the door, and suddenly my mom says, tell her it's not to worry. And the phone goes dark. Days later, Iris and her son were on a plane to Israel moving halfway around the world so she could take care of her mother. Little did she know, her mom would soon develop vascular dementia as a result of the stroke. Iris's whole life was about to change. This time on Can We Talk, we're speaking with Iris Barr about caring for a parent with dementia and about creating art from personal tragedy. We'll hear some more excerpts from Iris's show throughout the interview. How quickly did you decide that you just had to go to Israel? It was like 30 seconds. Oh, okay. It was literally like, I, I was like, oh God, like my mom does not, she has some friends, but they're also in their 80s. You know, my mom's an only child. And I am an only child. I mean, my brother who was autistic passed away, but th- th- it was like, there was really no support system. And so I finally get to Israel and I'm there 24-7 and kind of rehabilitating my mom and deciding to just stay in Israel. This is before I knew that dementia had set in. Can you describe what it was like during COVID and having to go in and out of a hospital? Yeah. Like that's... Yes. Well, I had to usually sneak in. And I would get, if a nurse called me, I'd get yelled at. Um, and I wasn't vaccinated yet. And I was literally trying to hug my mom with two masks and those plastic shields. So I'm crushing my mom's face with this plastic shield. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like literally crushing it. At the hospital, I rushed to my mom's room. And I hug her so hard, I feel like she's going to break. But she's not speaking, and this feels odd to me. So I find a doctor, because now I'm here, and the doctors have to speak to me. Iris spent nearly every waking hour with her mother at the hospital. Her son was with his father, Iris's ex, who lives in Israel. I am at the hospital 20 hours a day. From before my mom wakes up until they kick me out at night. I am feeding my mom. I am bathing my mom. I am wiping my mom's ass because I cannot wait for the orderlies to show up and do it. I'm also dealing with a Yemenite woman in the bed next to my mom who thinks I work there and wants me to wipe her ass. (laughs) Now, even though I have zero boundaries, I have some limits and I politely decline. This woman has five children who keep coming in and out with Tupperware boxes of food and they are horrified to learn that I am an only child. And they get re-horrified every time they see me. (laughs) It's just you? Nobody to help you? Uh, no. Like only child, no brothers and sisters? Uh, no, no, just, just me. And your mother, where are her brothers and sisters? Uh, she's also an only child. Wow! (laughs) And you live in Los Angeles? Yes. Do you know Egal? I'm sorry? Egal Locksmith in Burbank. Um, nope. How about Lugasi, pool? I, I don't have a pool. Shimi, dirt is a gardener. I actually do know Shimi. Wow, my mom didn't Shimi as a cat. Wow, only child tragedy. After three months of all this intense rehab, then they tell me my mom has this dementia because I was like, oh, she's confused, but it's not getting better. It's not getting better. And so that was a bigger shocker than than the stroke, really. Mm. Because the stroke didn't affect my mom physically. I mean, I did have to rehabilitate her and feed her and and do all that stuff. But that improved immensely. It was was the mental 
she literally forgets moment to moment. And everyone's like, oh, does she recognize you? I'm like, yes. So it, it's, it, you know, this kind of vascular dementia is confusing because it's very hard to wrap your head around what and why people remember certain things. And, and as I am with her and kind of heartbroken, I'm also constantly like trying to understand and decipher and, and have this fascination with the human brain and our soul and, you know, what maintains like she, you know, some of her personality is still there, but she has no context to anything. So it's almost like these rote responses. And I'm like, we are just our synapses here. Mm. You know, it's like, we're really like, you know, she would say stuff if even sometimes I try and talk to her just like we used to, because I'm also engaged in a little bit of kind of denial and magical thinking, and I'll complain about something and her response will be the same response she gave me for 20 years. You know what I mean? Can you give me an example? Um, well, if I bitch about my ex, you know, <laughs> like it's been a source of a lot of pain and frustration over the, you know, the last decade. And she'll be like, oh, forget about it. We're never, about, you know, mind about him or he's not worth your emotional well-being. But then she'll think I have three children. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or she thinks we're living together. Like, so it's almost like this call and response. Uh, so I'm like, oh, is she in there? Is she not in there? Because she still has no idea what's going on in the rest of her life. You know, she has no idea she had a stroke. She had no idea she has dementia. You know, I have my own form of dementia now because when you're, in this endless loop, because our conversations for the last two and a half years have pretty much been identical. Like you could literally copy paste. And so you almost forget the memories embedded of what my mom used to be like are fading. And part of me is like, okay, like I don't mourn that because I'm like, well, what is it going to help me to be like, oh my God, she used to be like this or, oh my God. You know what I mean? I think it's, it doesn't serve me. I think certain people you know, maybe love to reminisce or have these good memories. But for me, it's not, I think it's different when you're dealing with someone with dementia, because this is what you got now. Mm. And if you keep harping on what might've been, I think it just puts you in a very frustrating place. Like this is who my mom is now. I have to stop mourning the loss of who she was Mm -hmm. and just take what I can get, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And accept who she is now. And that it's, it's very challenging for me, it's, it's really been, the journey has been like, how do I accept this so I don't, because I do feel like I'm losing my mind half the time. Because when you're dealing with someone with dementia, it's a one-sided experience. She is confused, right? So I have to kind of reteach her everything. That's, that's to be expected, right? So every day I go over there and I read her the paper and I tell her stuff about her and me and our family and everything that's going on. And we do this day in and day out. And the therapist says to me, whatever you do, don't correct her. Like, if she gets something wrong, don't correct her. She'll get it when she gets it, because sometimes it stresses them out when you correct them. And I'm like, okay, but that's challenging for me, because a lot of the stuff that my mom believes to be true is annoying. Like, the fact that she thinks she's 36 years old, and yet I'm 57. Or the fact that she is convinced we are in New Jersey. Now, my mom has zero affiliation with New Jersey. And I'm like, Mom, of all the places on earth, why do you have to stick us in Jersey? Couldn't it be Paris or Morocco? Now I have to improv with you that we're in Weehawken? But I do it. I do it. I talk about how all the memories I'm creating are now one-sided. Mm-hmm. You know, like nothing is retained there. And it can become a very isolating predicament. You're not getting any positive feedback. There's no acknowledgement. It's really just giving in a very pure sense. Emotionally and physically, caring for Ruth full-time was wearing Iris down. Here's a clip from the show where Ruth's doctor tells Iris... She has to take better care of herself. You are killing yourself. I see you here every day. I was killing myself. 
Um, I had not been eating or drinking. I had like infections in both my feet, this severe inflammation. I was having cardiac symptoms and, and chest pains. You prepared for a sprint, but this is a marathon. I'm like, yeah, I guess I did. I thought we'd come in here, we'd do the rehab, and after a few months, we'd be you know, back to normal. This, this dementia thing came out of nowhere. And he starts telling me about the oxygen mask, right? I have to put it on myself first before I can take care of my mother and more importantly, my son. And that only makes me cry more because I hadn't seen my son in months. So what is it like to um, be taking care of your parent and your kid at the same time? It's challenging, Nani. It's that sandwich generation, right? It's, It's very, very hard. I mean, luckily my son is older now and is more self-sufficient. But it's also like I want to be there with my kid. Right. And what about emotionally, too? Like being sort of torn between this life that is yes. ending and this life that is at yes. its beginning. Well, I think it's that's the one joy where you have to keep... You know, I think that Western society, we have a hard time with, with dying and aging and mortality. And, you know, half the podcasts are about, like, hacking aging, you know, take this coenzyme, like neuroscientists, right? Like that's the new zeitgeist, right? And I, I don't know if other cultures or societies, you know, have more of a uh, acceptance of like, this is the body's deteriorating. It's not a great way to go, but this is how her life, you know what I mean? It, it's torturous, but this is it. Yeah. And you have to kind of focus on, okay, the cycle of life and focus on my son and find those moments of joy. And I think that was the best advice that I got from people is really kind of micro find little things that bring you joy to get through the day. You know, I think that because it's like you really get into a dark place and you're like, I have to do something small, whatever it is, you know what I mean? And it's not always successful, you know, you're never fully carefree. And I think that's what I was talking about living life with grief. There's just always something there, but you have to accept that too. And I think that acceptance has been the hardest part of the journey for me. Um, it still feels as raw and fresh as it did two and a half years ago. I think you said in your show that in some ways parenting your parent can be more meaningful than parenting your kid because it's harder. You know, when you're parenting a child, there's joy, there's fruits of your labor, there's feedback, there's, you're like watering a plant. (laughs) But I think what I mean is that it, it really is giving in a very, pure form when you're taking care of your parent yeah in this way in particular i think uh with people with you know with dementia or alzheimer's it's when there really is no because you know look i'm not saying we do something for the acknowledgement but the acknowledgement keeps us going of course ruth was released from rehab after a few months but being at home turned out to be even more difficult she was more agitated she would shout at iris and at hired caregivers. After about a year of this, Iris finally decided to move her mom into a nursing home. So I put my mom in this facility, and it's a very emotional day. And the minute I leave, I'm like, how the fuck am I going to pay for this shit? So I realize I have to rent out my mom's apartment, which means I have to pack up my mom's apartment. And if any of you have had to pack up a loved one's home, it is not fun. (laughs) Now that Ruth's apartment is rented out, and Ruth is in a home. Iris is grappling with where to base her own life, Israel or the States. You know, she, 
she needs me when she talks to me she's always crying but she doesn't remember that I'm there and it's such a tough decision because I haven't been working like there's no work for me in Israel and I knew my I know my mom would not want me to be sacrificing my career and my livelihood I know that like even when I come visit her she's like get out of here what are you doing here but that doesn't really matter I have to kind of make you grapple with these decisions like what do you do you got to make a living and and survive but how do I go far away and she doesn't have anybody like you know my mind is just in this constant yeah. loop so it's it's really it's that dance of self-care in general I think that that caregivers experience and neglect it's a very hard dance and I've never been one for healthy boundaries <laughs> I didn't even know what a boundary was until the therapist explained it to me when did you start thinking about mining this experience for your stand-up for a show? Uh, I think it was, I mean, I was still knee-deep in it, and it, it, I'm still knee-deep, but I was really like, this was when she was still in, you know, in, in rehab, and, and um, she was actually at home, and we were going, I was going through a very, very hard time, and I was extremely, you know, uh, uh, depressed and, and crying a lot and anxious, but still powering through. I think I've always done that. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of crying and doing is my motto. Um, and then I was supposed to uh, perform uh, in Vancouver at uh, a, a theater festival that I performed in in the past. Um, you know, they were like, what do you want to do? Do you want to just do stand up? And I said, actually, I want to write about this experience because some meaning has to come out of this hellfire. Like, you know, something outside of myself, I have to be able to share this experience because I'm definitely not the only one going through it, even though it felt like that at the time. Uh, and so I, I wrote it and I did it in Vancouver. Uh, and it was a very powerful, uh, experience. Um, and then I kept writing it cause things kept, you know, evolving. And then I did it again in New York there was something about it when I did it in New York that after every show, people would come up and cry and hug me. And I was like, oh my mm. God, I didn't realize that so many people were really going through this or even were about to or even contemplating if they would have to. Because I think that a lot of times caregivers feel like it's just all gloom and doom. You know, there's literally nothing uplifting mm -hmm. about the condition. But there's something, there are some uplifting or inspiring things about the caregiving, things that I've experienced that other people have experienced. Like all my resentment towards my mom kind of dissipated once this happened. And you kind of look back at, at your history mm -hmm. in, a, in a different way and reframe your experience a little bit. And so when I was initially writing the show, when I was at the height, you know, the, the grief and the processing is a, is a long process. And anyone who has gone through yeah. serious grief knows this. And so I think that um, sometimes when I created the show, it created a little bit of distance. You know, when you're storytelling and creating and crafting, it does create a distance between you and the event. Has your mom seen your show? I showed her a little trailer. I, my mom has a hard time kind of wrapping her head around concepts in, in, in general at, at this point. Like I said, it's she can have a conversation with you and make a complete sense, but have no idea, you know... She, she thinks she's 20. She thinks her parents are alive, which is also shocking to me, considering she spent her entire life without them. You know what I mean? Like, there's just certain things about, like I said, like the brain, how the brain is wired and what happened and what shifts yeah. that, that make no sense to me. Um, 
maybe it's the severe traumatic events because she doesn't remember that my brother died either. And so it's almost like the brain is like, okay, we're going to take that trauma away. Uh, we're going to make you anxious and depressed over other stuff, but, but that's going to go away. And it's so odd to me. It's so unclear what drawers have been closed and what opened and what's been rearranged. It, it strikes me as really beautiful and such a kind of honoring of your mother that while she's losing her memory and her understanding of her own life narrative that you are constructing it, you're telling this story. Yeah, I think that I, I, I mean, I feel that when I do it, it's obviously so bittersweet. You know, again, it's like that I wish she could have seen it. I wish she gets it. I wish she knows about mm. it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But again, you, this is at that point, I just look outward and say, how is this helping others that can uh, glean from it? You know, bearing witness to, to each other's stories. Is it helping uh, you? I think when I, when I you know, when people uh, experience something uh, emotional from the show, yeah, I mean, that's why I do what I do, you know. Uh, is it helping me cope with my mom's situation? I, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think it's making that easier. I don't think anything will make that easier. But I think that you at least, you know, uh, you at least get something meaningful out of it uh, for others. Some sort of relief or respite for for others. There's something gratifying about being able to take your your own story and universalize it. That was actor and writer Iris Barr talking about her mother and her one-woman show, See You Tomorrow. A brief update from Iris, who says, Baruch Hashem, her mother is okay and thankfully unaware of current events in Israel. For more information about Iris's show, visit irisbar.com or find her on Instagram at iris.bar. She spells her name I-R-I-S. B-A-H-R. Iris is also working on a documentary about how caregivers cope with the challenges of caring for family members with dementia. Thank you for joining us for Can We Talk, the podcast of the Jewish Women's Archive. Our team includes Jen Richler and Judith Rosenbaum. Our theme music is by Girls in Trouble. You'll find Can We Talk online at jwa.org slash canwetalk or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nahani Rouse, wishing all who celebrate a light-filled Hanukkah. Until next time.